Matt, you muscled your way through. He has not been feeling well. Thank you for your serving us this morning. We need to pray for our brother. Beautiful, beautiful day out there today, huh? This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And we are one day closer to spring. We draw our series uh, to a close this morning. It is a massive subject. Um, All of our focus, all of our focus, all of the time is to be for the glory of God. That is a momentous task that we need the Lord's help in order to accomplish. Would you bow your heads first and foremost and pray with me as we seek his help and guidance through his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you directly in the name and through the work of Jesus. Our heads, Lord, are bowed this morning to show our submission to your authority. You're in charge, we're not. You're God, we're not. Lord, as we have a few moments now um, with your word opened up before us, I would ask that you would speak and that, that us, your servants, would hear. That we together would hear a word from you. Lord, I need your help this morning as always. May everything that is done exalt the name of Jesus and bring glory to you and to you alone. Father, I pray specifically for people that are here today as we inevitably will touch and we'll we'll scratch the surface of a subject that is hard for us to comprehend. Think of people that are here today that are in the midst of suffering in some way. May, May all of us be reminded that even that suffering and that condition can bring glory to you. And Lord, we need your help to see that and to learn that this morning. May you, may you speak and may, may we hear from you. We ask this in the strong and powerful and wonderful, majestic name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, week five, um, we have been looking at five solas. They're theological summaries. We know that they emerged uh, from the Protestant Reformation, in a sense, correcting some of the errant, bad teaching, bad theology of the Roman Catholic Church, and today they constitute foundational pillars or uh, uh, doctrinal um, accuracies that, in a sense, distinguish um, and unite, identify, and explain what we as evangelical Christians believe today. I I trust that you have seen a single theme that is kind of working its way through all of these solas. Um, By way of review, we know that salvation is what? According to Scripture alone, sola scriptura. We have confidence. We can have confidence in his word, which means that he alone, God alone, has all of the authority. We know that salvation is what? By grace alone, sola gratia. We have been given a, a, a gift of grace from God. He alone is the initiator of our salvation. He comes to get us. He rescues us. We know that salvation is 
through faith alone, sola fide. We have faith in the work of God. He alone is the justifier. He alone is the securer of our salvation. We looked last week at the fact that what? Salvation is in Christ alone, solus Christus. We can have a relationship. We, uh, as sinners, can have a relationship with a holy God because of the work of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion and the resurrection, that he alone is the object of our faith. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. I want you to think about this. Salvation is what? It's, it's all about God alone. Salvation is entirely accomplished by God, which prompted the author to write in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We have nothing to brag about in and of ourselves. Therefore, what? All of the glory, all of the honor belongs to God and to God alone. Which brings us to our fifth and final sola. For the glory of God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. Soli Deo Gloria is not only a summary of everything prior, the, the previous four solas, but for that matter, for the glory of God alone should be a summary statement for all of life, for all of life. You wake up. For the glory of God. You, you, you make your way through the day. You maneuver your way through the day for the glory of God. You work and you study for the glory of God. You play and you exercise for the glory of God. You rest. You read. You eat. You sleep. You write. You run for the glory of God. Westminster Shorter Catechism begins. Question number one, what is, what is the chief end of man? In a sense, why are we here? The response is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This week we enjoyed watching the start of another Olympic Games. I'm reminded of the great Olympian Eric Liddell, a runner, an Olympic gold medalist from Paris in 1924. He is referred to or known as the Flying Scotsman. And he says this, I quote, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Oh, no, no wonder. It makes sense that Paul wrote what? So whether you eat whether you drink, you do it all. You do it all for the glory of God. You know, I found in, in, in churchy circles such as this, that word glory, that phrase, that sentence seems to roll very, very quickly off of our tongues. There's a lot of talk to God be the glory. We, we sing about be glorified, glory to God forever, glory to God in all things. An angel appeared at Christmas, glory to God in the highest. There was a bit of a, 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 a big football game this past Sunday night and, and what? And the, the good guys beat the bad guys 
41 to 33. And what's interesting is that the, the, the head coach and the most valuable player said what? This is all for the glory of God. Like, wait, wait a minute. What, like, what, what does this mean? What, what, what does it mean? What is God's glory? How do we give God anything? The word glory is defined as this great distinction. Glory is, is renown. It is adoration and praise offered in worship. Um, glory is magnificence. Glory is splendor. And before we get very far, we have to, we have to. I want to direct all of our attention to the truth regarding the glory of God. And I believe the, the best way to learn and understand about this and why God gets the glory alone is to look at our text this morning. Romans chapter 11. Let me direct your attention to verse 33. Read down through the end of the chapter, verse 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Oh, oh, that we would begin our day with that word, oh. Oh, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, exclamation point. How, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways, exclamation point. For, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So be it. That's what amen literally means. Now, I don't want to reduce or lessen this text in any way, but I was thinking this text right here, these few verses are like the cream in the middle of the Oreo. And I know that, that it's just like it, it reduces it. It's on the, But the cream is what? It's the best part of the Oreo. I want you to think about this. The first 11 chapters, chapters 1 through 11 of Romans, are what? Are establishing a theological foundation. Chapters 1 through 5 reveal sinful condition of man's hearts, the incredible work of Christ, the justification is offered through faith in Christ's work. Chapters 6 through 8 speak about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that gives us victory over sin and secures us safely in his love. Chapters 9 and 10 speak of his sovereign grace and his faithfulness, even in the midst of our own faithlessness. In a sense, the first 11 chapters, one side of the Oreo, are a theological foundation. Now the other side, chapter 12 through, through chapter 16, are the practical application that Paul's writing to these persecuted Christians in Rome. What is that? Chapters 12 through 14, you offer yourself, it begins with you give yourself up to be a living sacrifice. How are we to live as a Christian? It's explained in chapters 12 um, through 14. The Holy Spirit has what? Given us the ability 
By what? Gifts that are to be used and exercised for his glory. Show love to one another. Don't judge one another. Don't cause anyone to stumble. In chapters 15 and 16, say what? Just follow Christ's example. Follow Christ's example. So what we have here is we have two sections. It's all good, but the best is in the middle. I've heard this text in the middle described as a bridge from what? The way we get from God. Okay, that's the theology to the way that we live for God, the practical application. And in the middle, between those two sections is, is, is these few verses that we get here. We get like a glimpse. We get to pull back the curtain and we get a little bit of a look behind the curtain of just how majestic, of how mighty, how great, and how grand God is. This, this little section, these few verses, it, it is an absolute eruption of praise. It is a doxology. It is an expression of of worship, of, of adoration, of adulation, of exaltation. That's what these few verses are. And they teach us three things. The first one is this, that all glory belongs to God because he cannot be measured, number one. That's what we see in this text. It all belongs to God. All the glory belongs to God because he cannot be measured. All oh, the depth of the riches. And the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. The author is writing and he describes regardless of how far you go down into his wealth. Into his resources. Into his riches. Regardless of how deep you dig into his wisdom. Regardless of of how far down you drill down into the knowledge of God, what the author is saying this is that you will not and you cannot get below him or beneath him because God is already there. God is absolutely bottomless. God is fathom, unfathomable. God's ways are are unsearchably deep. The King James Version says it like this, that God's ways are past finding out. Okay, you will not, I will not be able to fully comprehend an incomprehensible God. There's nothing below God. We know there's nothing above God. There's nothing that can compete with God that is in between all that is above above and all that is below word of god describes him as what he is the alpha and the omega god is the beginning and the end god is the first and god is the last god is the author and god is the finisher god simply cannot be measured put your measuring stick away with just how rich how wise how knowledgeable god is His riches are so much that it simply cannot be counted. God made it all. God owns it all. His knowledge and his wisdom cannot be limited because God is all. God is all. The uh, prophet Isaiah describes it like this in Isaiah 45. From the ends of the earth, 
From the ends of the earth, I am God and there is no other. So when the apostle Paul, in a sense, begins to, what begins with, oh, oh, the depth. He is in awe. We today, to begin with, must be in absolute awe. We are all struck when we consider what all glory belongs to God because he cannot be measured. Number two, all glory belongs to God because he cannot be matched. It says this, who, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has, who has been his counselor? Who, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Now, what the author is doing here in order um, to emphasize is he uses the obvious in literature It's actually a form of literature. It's referred to as a rhetorical question. A question is asked, but the answer is so clear. The answer is so evident. The answer is so apparent. It's so observable that you don't even have to bother answering the question. It's that clear. There's three specific rhetorical questions that... The Apostle Paul uses here, he actually quotes them from Isaiah chapter 40. He begins with this. Who who here has known the mind of God? Answer this. No one. That's the answer. No one knows the mind of God. Second question. Who has been his counselor? Uh, We have have tried to offer God counsel. Who, Who has been his counselor? Answer. No one, there's a specific illustration of what you cannot give God. You and I cannot give God counsel. We cannot give God advice. Why? Ephesians chapter 1 says, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. I like the way John Piper um, says this. He describes that God's counselor is God. Which means you and I, and forgive me for being blunt, need to keep our mouths shut at times when we think, God, like, why didn't you show up here? God, why didn't you stop that? God, what about that evil? What are you going to do about that evil? We attempt to give counsel to God. We'll look at the dangers of that later on. Third rhetorical question. Who has given a gift in the sense that God can't repay? Answer, no one. There is nothing that you can give God that he does not already have. He is never in anyone's debt. God doesn't owe you anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. But wait a minute. It's a cold, dark, rainy, miserable day in February, and I showed up at church. God better be good to me this week. No, it doesn't work like that. God doesn't owe you one more heartbeat. He doesn't owe you one more breath. God owes you and I nothing. God cannot be matched. It's it's easy for us to think of God in, in, in human form in order to gain some kind of an understanding, and we can't even we can't even do that. Reason being is that God is not bound even by time. God is eternal. He always was, and he always will be. Peter describes it like this. 
one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day to God. I'm already confused. Like that's wait, it's totally beyond me. Why? Because God is not bound by time. God is not bound by borders. He is omnipresent, which means that he is what? He is all present, which means that he is everywhere at all times. The the psalmist asked, again, rhetorical question. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where where shall I flee from your presence? Like, where can I go that, that you're not there? Answer, nowhere. God is not bound by time. God is not bound by borders. There's nothing that God does not know. He is omniscient, which means that he is all-knowing. Psalm 139 says, you know my thoughts before I think them. You mean, yeah, but I haven't thought it yet. Yeah, I know. And God knows what you're going to think before you even think that. Is that like beyond our understanding? That's a description. There's, there's nothing that God cannot do. He is omnipotent. The word is all-powerful. It's described in Luke chapter 1. It says, with God, that nothing is impossible. Like, like think about it. Like, think about the limitations that we have. Jump off the chair and fly. I'm going to fly. I'm just going to fly off this chair. No, 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 no. With God, as far as who he is, what he... Nothing is impossible. It says in Psalm 115 that he does everything. He does all that he pleases. All glory belongs to God because he cannot be measured. All glory belongs to God because he cannot be matched. Thirdly and finally, all glory belongs to God because it was already his in the first place. Thirdly, look what it says. It says, for from him... Everything starts from him and through him and then to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. This, this, in a sense, this verse leads to the conclusion of the whole matter. The, the first 11 chapters comes to a crashing crescendo right here. Not only are all things from God and not only are all things through God, but all things are to God and to his glory forever. Everything, everything is directed and points toward God, who is the ultimate cause and reason for everything, which means everything is dependent upon God. There is one origin. And it is from God. Think of it like this, the Proverbs. Uh, the author, Solomon, kind of a wise man in his own right. He, he says this, and I quote Proverbs chapter 16. He says, the lot is cast. Or we could understand it like this. The, the dice are tossed into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So so I want you to think about that. Every decision of every dice roll in the entire universe is from the Lord. Every single decision. Every dice toss from Las Vegas to Lock Haven to Laos to Mumbai to Madagascar from New York to L.A. It is from him 
through him and to him. But then you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is where the tension exists. You, you know scripture. At some level, you're like, wait a minute. All things. Don't we remember reading somewhere in scripture that like there are sins of this world that they're not from God. Turn with me so you see this yourself. Turn with me to 1 John in chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. See if you can pick up, in a sense, on some of the tension that exists here with this whole, wait a minute, all glory goes to God all the time. All things are what? From him, through him, and to him. Wait, wait, wait a minute. 1 John chapter 2 Verses 15 and 16, it says this, do, do not, John is writing, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father but it's from the world. Wait, wait a minute. We just read everything is from God. And now we see in scripture, wait a minute, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of the life. That is not from God. Is there a contradiction here in scripture? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Sins are not from the father. It says that they're from the world. How do we, how do we justify this? Let, let me make very clear. Sin does not come from God's nature and character, okay? The things that are from this world are not from God. They're not from sin, obviously. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life is not from God's nature and his character because we know what? Isaiah got a glimpse, Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So we know that there is no sin in him. But... There is an ultimate decisive cause. God allows what? To fulfill his, his perfect will. God's will is that he allows evil and it's even evil from the evil one. That, that, that is this, that God wills that sin be without sinning himself. Let me say that again. God actually wills that sin be without sinning himself. Satan, the enemy, the evil one, causes what? Misery. He wreaks havoc. And yet at some level, God allows it. Am I the only one ever asked this question? Like, um, why? Like there are horrible things. There's horrible atrocities. Children are hurt and abused. There's been genocide. There's been, there's been horrible. Yet, yet at some level, God allows it. Why? We, we began in Romans chapter 11. We began in verse 33. I want you to go back to Romans. I want you to go back. Um, rather than 33, just back up a couple more verses. And let's begin at verse 30. And we get the answer here. We get amazing explanation as to why. 
We're back in Romans chapter 11. Look at verse 30. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so that they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, that they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And then there's this doxology, oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom. Do, Do you see that in the latter part of verse 31? So that they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, that they may receive mercy. And we begin to get a little bit of an explanation here. All things, even the evil of this world. Okay, why? Why? So that God's mercy is not, not only seen, but God's mercy is received. So who, who's, who's directing this whole, who's directing this whole thing? Who, who wrote the script here? Even the horrible disobedience and sins that were listed here, even in the fact that what we were disobedient to God so that we still see his mercy, give an opportunity to receive his mercy. Therefore, we, we need to learn this. We need to learn this this morning. God gets all the glory all the time. God gets all of the glory all of the time. The reason is that every single one of us at one time have shouted, have asked, God, where were you? Why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you stop that? God, you need to stop that evil. God, you should not allow that. What are we doing? We are trying to offer counsel to one who what doesn't need our counsel. When we try to offer God counsel, we're trying to actually rob him of the glory that is due his name. You realize what you're trying to do with that? Like, God, you need to do this. And, and I'm asking it, and you need to stop this. You. But you, you, you and I love our own glory. See, see, in our story, we love our glory. It's, it's, what, it's all about what makes me happy and comfortable. And so we pray to that end. And God's like, wait, wait, wait a minute. That's not what I have for you. We love to delight in our own comfort, in our own fame, in our own name. We love to, to be the center of everything. In doing that, we are constantly and consistently robbing God of his Lord, we cannot, we cannot do that. We are fallen, sinful beings. It would be inappropriate for us as human beings. But it is more than appropriate for God. He alone. We remember that all things bring glory to his name. All the glory of creation, every, every part of it, of the universe, every, every, every one of the stars flung the sun, and the moon. All the glory of creation belongs to God. All the academic glory and brilliance of all of the universities and all of the colleges and all the libraries in the world, all of that, it all belongs to God. All the glory of of the military might 
nations will boast and, and brag. Look at us. You don't mess with us. All of that glory, it all belongs to God. All the, all the glory of the weather systems. And there's what? Even in that, there's storms and hurricanes and earthquakes and what? Volcanic eruptions. And there's destruction. Even in all of that, God, what? He alone will get glory. All the glory of, of, of art belongs to God. He gave you the ability to create this, draw this. All the, the glory of, of athletics, God gave you the ability to move like that. He gets the glory. All the glory of science and, and medicine, the advancements and technology that we have, it all, all that glory belongs to God. All the glory of governments all the glory what, from kings and princes and presidents and, and prime ministers and all the pomp and pageantry and all that, all that, it all belongs to God. All the glory of a transformed life, a life that at one time was an absolute wreck in the ditch. All, all, all of the transformation that takes place of a family that has been healed, a marriage that has been saved, a, a, a home, a heart that at one point was ravaged by sin. And God steps in and changes that. He alone gets all the glory for that. Matt read for us earlier. Not unto us, not unto us, not unto us, O Lord, but to your Name, give glory. You know, when the kids were little, they asked questions that we're like, we're like totally dumbfounded by. Dad, why is the sky blue? Yeah, I don't really know. Like, why is, why is grass green? I, I don't really know. There's something in it that makes it green. God wanted it green. What, why? Why are like the clouds white sometimes, but then other times the clouds are like black? Why, God? And we're just like, like I, I really don't know, okay? Just trust me. God made it that way. I'm clueless. You, you ever ask those questions like, God, why? Why? Why my journey in my life? Why did you allow that? It wasn't right what that person did to me. Why, God? What? Why? Why the destruction around this world? Why, why history? Why the Reformation? Why were people burned at the stake because they were reading God's word? You ever ask this question? Like, why, why am I even here? Like, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Why? The answer is in your message. Holy. Deo Gloria, you are here. You are here. Your, your life has been preserved and protected to this minute. We don't know if you have tomorrow. None of us do. Why you're here is to make God glorious. Doesn't that, like, doesn't that simplify things? Like we are so concerned, like I, I got to take care of this and I got to fix this and I got to earn this and I got to do this and accomplish that and take care of this. No, no, no. Yeah, that's good stuff. You need to be doing that. But you are here for one purpose. Eric Liddell says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. I'm doing what God has called me to do. 
You realize that God has called you and equipped you in amazing ways. That when you, what, are in submissive obedience, you are reflecting his glory to others. So that when they see you, they don't really see you. It's all about how God has made you and designed you. God has formed you, created you unique. There's only one of you, you to be in what relationship with a holy heavenly father, putting your faith and your trust in the work that was offered through his son, Jesus Christ, at the cross and in the tomb. You put your faith in Christ's work and you live for one reason. You live for one reason. You eat, you, you sleep, you breathe, you do everything for the glory of God. And there is refreshing, there is refreshing joy, freedom in that. So may we as a church learn that we need to resign ourselves. It's not, it's not about offering God direction and counsel. No, no. It's not about getting and being what you think we, we resign ourselves this morning. Not, not just individually, I, I hope, but corporately as a church. We exist for one purpose, for the glory of God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. Father, we love you and we thank you for the way that you have called us unto yourself and you have equipped us through your word and through your spirit for one purpose, one purpose, You're going to get all the glory anyway. And so we surrender to your authority. And we ask us, ask you, Lord, that you would give to us just just the ability to be faithful, the ability to be obedient, the ability to surrender every day, the ability to see you for who you really are. And every breath, every heartbeat, May it bring glory to your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.